Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone blicker, blicker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome, you wonderful Wandas. You perfect Pauls. You lovely Lindas. You outrageous... Do any names start with O? I've never thought about that in my entire life. Oh, Oliver. Uh, you outrageous Olivers. So, uh, so nice to be here. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. My name is Colby Marie. I'm your host on this this journey, this storytelling odyssey that I'm embarking on here with you, my uh, lovely listeners. So welcome to another episode. <laughs> I uh, Every time I start one of these, it's, it's quite amazing the buildup that I feel, the, the prep that I do. There's this... Uh, inertia that that starts to to form and as the episode kind of takes shape in my head um, it all leads up to this this one moment when I press record and I take a series of deep breaths and I kind of I just wait I kind of I hang out there in this really still, quiet moment um, underneath the headphones. I can feel my, my heart beating. I can kind of, I can hear the, the texture of my breath in the microphone. And it's a really, it's a really neat and wondrous things, stillness, and when things come to rest before before they get started, before they kind of take off, you know, that, that really exciting feeling when you're strapped into the ride at the amusement park and you're sitting there pardon me, and you're watching the other passengers that will be going on this adventure, this uh, exhilarating ride with you. You kind of watch all of them get strapped in. You see the safety harnesses or the the safety bars kind of come down, and there's this, this second right before the ride starts that's completely still and kind of the anticipation of everybody on the ride <laughs> it's just really palpable and uh 
then you just go on this wild journey together, twists and turns, loops, loop-de-loos, and twirly-twirls, and whirly-birdies, and roundabouts, and zip-zing-zadoodoos. Um, I don't know if that's a technical term. <laughs> but uh, right before I, I begin to speak, I can kind of feel the, the build-up of the prep that I've done, and... Uh, the anticipation I feel, the the nerves, the excitement I have to have this time to have a little chat with you all. So welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. I really recommend if you can just take 10 seconds today, shut your eyes, feel, feel some stillness, uh, listen to your heart, listen to your breath. It's uh, a really beautiful, beautiful thing that I, I learned along the way. I, many years ago, I was super curious what would happen if I meditated every day for a year. Um, I'd never meditated before. Uh, the thought of it sounded terrifying and horrific. Um, I'm one of those people who has a very hard time sitting still. Uh, it's taken a lot of effort and a lot of grace for me to learn to be still for long periods of time. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd been practicing yoga. I wouldn't say practicing. I was going to yoga is physical exercise, um, kind of the way that it's been appropriated by a lot of yoga studios in America and in the West, that uh, yoga asana, um, yeah, just kind of got corrupted by capitalism, the way capitalism gets in and infects really beautiful things. But uh, for those of you who don't know, yoga asana was kind of a way to get um, really brief lowbrow history uh, was created by really brilliant sages and philosophers in India to get energy moving in the body to uh, kind of clear up physical stagnation, energetic stagnation um, then also if you hold any pose for an extremely long period of time you're going to enter an altered state of consciousness that might lead to deep, profound insights, uh, awakening experiences, uh, the really mystical, beautiful stories you can hear if you uh, read texts from ancient Indian sages. Um, so long story short, I've come to learn that. I wasn't practicing in that way at the time. I was going to uh, get in shape. I had quit drinking and my sister recently moved to Denver and she was really into yoga and she took me to a class um, and it was at um, a pretty well-established chain um, and it was hot yoga and I swear to God like I, 
I thought I was going to die. It was uh, quite possibly one of the most challenging things I'd ever done in my life up until that point was just getting through a yoga class. Um, It required me to use my body in ways that it had never been used before. It required me to hold my body in poses that I hadn't developed the physical strength for. Uh, I had a lot of injuries um, that had kind of my strength had atrophied quite a bit, and so uh, it was really, really hard. Um, like, really, really hard. Uh, but there was just something about it that was really... It was... It just felt... I felt something after the class that I hadn't really felt um, doing any other exercise. Um, I don't know if I would call it... I mean, just on the scientific level, I think it released a whole lot of neurochemicals that I hadn't felt in quite some time. Uh, there was some dopamine, some endorphins. I was just, I felt really good. I felt a sense of peace. I felt a sense of accomplishment. Um, I'd never been to an exercise class. I hated the gym and hated working out. And there was something about it, um, you know, there was enough freedom in it and the things that the people were saying in the class were encouraging and welcoming and inviting and nice. And I'd never had that experience with working out. And so for quite a while, I continued to go to yoga and it really, uh, it helped in my sobriety. I, I continued to do, uh, yoga as exercise. Um, I, had it, I knew nothing about cultural appropriation at the time. This was probably 10 years ago. Um, I knew nothing about the history of yoga in India. Um, that was a curiosity that got sparked and the fire that got stoked the, the longer that I practiced it. But I was, I would go to these classes five times a week. You know, I really think that yoga helped me stay sober and um, I was going to therapy a lot too it was just a lot of things started clicking all at once and it was really a powerful and profound time of my life Um, I was starting to reach some of my goals and I was starting to have some success professionally um, with teaching and I remember one day in yoga, I uh, I was in this pose, it's called triangle pose, um, I don't know the Sanskrit name for it, but um, it's kind of a pose where you really stretch your hips, and I'd heard people say, um, you know, our, our hips hold a lot of emotions, um, in the sense that our body holds emotion and energy in it. And I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't believe that. This is really cool. I want to get super jacked and hot and, you know, go on dates with hot people that do yoga. This is cool. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I was really self-conscious. I was, you know, 
at a point <laughs> in my on my spiritual path where you know like I uh, I thought everybody else was thinking about how bad I was doing you know like my insecurities I projected those on everybody else when everybody else is probably you know just having their own experience so I was definitely in a place of healing a lot of insecurities around my body and my ability to be healthy and happy and heal um, uh, from the drinking, from injuries, from a childhood of being pretty chronically ill. Um, and I was in this pose one day and, you know, I was just kind of like, I was taking some deep breaths, just trying to like stay in it. It was a little uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden I had this like deep, impactful memory of being in gym class in seventh grade. And it was like I was there again. You know, it was, I was completely teleported out of this yoga pose and out of this yoga studio in this room with all these other people sweating in the heat um, whatever the yoga instructor was saying whatever music was playing just kind of all faded deeply 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 into the background and I was back in gym class in 7th grade and I had this memory of and it was more than a memory. It was like every cell in my body remembered this. Um, like I could, it's almost like I could smell the gym, the gymnasium. I could like feel the clothes I was wearing. I could feel my little seventh grade mullet, <laughs> you know, teasing the back of my neck. Um, I could feel the, uh, the hairspray, uh, I could smell the hairspray and feel the crunchy <laughs> hair and like, oh, I don't want to mess up my hair in gym because I need to look cool for the rest of the day. <laughs> and I could feel the just profound social insecurity that I don't think is uncommon for anybody uh, going through puberty who is in public school. Um... It's a huge part of our development, but I was in this yoga class, and here I am transported back to uh, 12-year-old Colby. Um, like, afraid to look stupid. Afraid to not be good at a sport. Afraid to not be as strong as the other boys or not be as tough as the other boys and uh, just this really deep sadness and fear around being teased um, middle schoolers are ruthless and I didn't escape that time without a lot of uh reinforcement for my insecurities um, my, my insecurities were deeply reinforced and you know all that happened in like a second 
and I'm back in the yoga studio and I, you know, come back and all of a sudden the music that returns to full volume, I can hear the yoga instructor, I look down, kind of look around, I see all these people and I, like I felt like I had just had a complete, you know, waking dream um, for some undefined amount of time. I was uh, taken out of my current environment and back into this experience and I remember coming out of that class and honestly being super disoriented and like what the fuck <laughs> I was like what was that like what the hell just happened and I had read enough and you know probably picked things up from things different teachers had said um, you know, I had read Siddhartha and this is well after I had a really poor attempt at being a Buddhist when I lived in, uh, Boulder, Colorado, like 10 years prior in my mid twenties, I, uh, was sleeping on a, a sheet on the floor and chewing my bites 50 times each, my food and, uh, had a really misguided, uh, <laughs> uh, attempt to, uh, independently become a Buddhist without any teacher training or serious text. Um, so I, I was aware of like the ego structure. I was aware that there was like an identity thing and I was like, holy shit, like this is, there's something inside of me that is, right, that like believes this story that everybody in this yoga class gives a shit <laughs> about how well I'm doing. And to, like, a certain extent, that could be true, you know? Like, when I was brand new to yoga, I would look around the class to see, like, how people were doing things, you know? We were social mammals that learn by example. We learn from seeing other people do it, you know? Um, we, we watch other kids climb something, and we're like, oh, I think I can try and climb that, <laughs> and... So to a certain extent, like, um, that was happening, right? Like, um, that could be happening, but not, uh, you know, unless the person's a huge asshole and trying to figure out who's the best person in yoga class, <laughs> um, that probably wasn't happening. And I like walked out and I was like, oh my God, like, like I have this whole thing that's operating because I have this part of me part of my identity is still like a scared little 12 year old um, afraid of being teased about my body about uh, my gender about how I express myself um, about how I hold my hands on my hips um, a lot of homophobic stuff was going on in Ohio in the 80s, still is in lots of different places, but like, <clears throat> in that one little moment, I kind of had this whole, uh, this realization that there was like more going on than I knew. Um, and so sometime later that year, I, uh, 
I started asking myself the question. I got like really curious. Um, I don't think I knew anybody who meditated. Um, you know, you'd kind of sit silently in different parts of the yoga class. Um, yoga can be like a moving meditation. And I think I probably heard somebody say that. So like the seed was definitely planted somewhere, but I was like, what would happen if I learned how to meditate? Like what would, what would happen? And the next year, um, I just started doing it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and it was really hard to sit still. It was um, extraordinarily challenging to... I mean, I used to freak out, like my foot would fall asleep, my arm would fall asleep. I'd like be inside my head trying to sit there, uh, crisscross applesauce on the floor. Um, and <laughs> like just deep panic, like, like I felt so scared to sit with my own thoughts. And like, you know, if my arm would fall asleep, I would start to think, you know, on some level, like, if I don't move, I'm going to die. Or, like, I would feel claustrophobic and trapped. I would feel um, a deep sense of panic. And I kind of just kept pushing through it. Um, <laughs> it's really... If I want to learn something, I'm pretty stubborn. And I was like, you know, I can do this. And then... At some point, I received some training. I met uh, a meditation teacher, started studying with him, um, a couple different meditation teachers. Um, and I kind of learned how to sit still. And I learned how to kind of be with myself. Um, and that was, that was kind of the first place that I, I discovered that like stillness, um, and it doesn't happen all the time. Like, uh, my brain runs all the time. It, it's, I don't, I don't meditate and experience some deep form of bliss or, uh, you know, mystical experiences all the time quite often it's uh, just a practice of sitting down when I don't want to and um, carving out the time to be with stillness and rest a little bit um, and sometimes my mind does rest and it's glorious <laughs> um, I think there's so many ways that our mind can come to rest like that like uh, you can you can achieve it in the flow state um, you can achieve it in meditation um, you can achieve it with psychedelics um, anybody's uh, you know had alcohol there's like this perfect little window of like one or two drinks where you kind of like just feel this peace and at ease and then obviously addicts like myself will like 
go past that and like you just want it all the time like that's why I drank so much was like I would feel this relief from my trauma or uh, my anxiety or my depression and then you know the brain doing what it does best it just kind of like grasps grasps just a funny word to say grasps just kept grasping after um, that feeling um, And it's really interesting um, to just kind of take a minute and breathe. And I do that when I start the podcast. And that was a really long tangent. <laughs> um, so I think I was, I was planning on talking about resting during this podcast. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take a little break here because it feels like a good time for it. Uh, this is a crowdfunded, viewer-supported podcast. Um, this is most of what I do. I've got a couple side gigs, but I'm really trying to get this thing to take off. And in this super-saturated, flooded market of podcasts, I appreciate your support. So thank you to all my patrons if you uh, are enjoying this podcast, getting a little something from it join our little chats um, you can go to www.patreon.com slash turning of the bones or you can go to my website www.turningofthebones.com and you could you could donate a little bit of money you know if you would buy me a cup of coffee or uh, a mocktail um or a sandwich once a month, uh, please donate what you can. There's no obligation. This is a, uh, a model where you and I get to kind of determine where this goes and keep having these little chats. I really don't like participating in... Uh, systems of oppression and things that I have moral and intellectual objections to and this is a way that I can kind of like hop in here I can try and make a little money having these chats uh, I, I still love teaching I still love being an educator I love learning um, I love being an artist and I love sharing uh, these stories with y'all so if you can Donate a little bit over on Patreon, www.turningofthebones. Uh, sorry, www.patreon.com slash turningofthebones or over at my website. Yeah, let's just keep doing this. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool model that we can pay creators and artists and teachers to, to share what they're passionate about. And I'm super passionate about becoming healthy and content and joyous and well-balanced person. I'm passionate about healing. I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about uh, the ways that the, the old world can kind of, we can integrate new knowledge into old ideas. Um, and I'm really... <laughs> 
I'm passionate about giving this a shot, chasing my dreams. So thank you for listening. A uh, little pause here. Advertising might come in. Then we'll get back to it. A little sip of my adaptogenic rasa mushroom coffee. Uh, not psychedelic today. Um, <laughs> can't imagine doing this podcast on psychedelics, but, uh, you know, microdosing is a, a helpful part of uh, some people's recovery. So if I ever get into microdosing, I'll let you know how that goes. But uh, not today. Just uh, adaptogenic mushroom tea. Uh, a little bit of coffee. I'm trying to cut down on the coffee. This uh, this go 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 thing we have. Uh, capitalism kind of pushes us all into. It's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I uh, well out for my second vaccination. Starting to plan some hangouts with some friends, and I'm just feeling my life kind of fill back up with activities and I'm honestly not sure how I feel about it. I, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was extraordinarily challenging to be isolated and to be alone. Um, but I also feel like there's this really beautiful reset that happened for me and some of my friends and other people I've talked to and listened to that I didn't realize how much bullshit was in my life like how many just like kind of how many things were distractions that I didn't know were distractions and I feel like it's a really cool opportunity to kind of rebuild my life socially and um, the activities that I choose on the other side of this because it's like a blank slate. It's kind of like a get a little do-over here. And I've, I've noticed that is the people I was quarantining with have all been vaccinated. I talk to people at the park uh, when I take my dog over there. There's definitely this... It's really interesting. There's like this increasing energy, right? Like... It's spring here in Colorado, so I think people are excited that winter's over, the weather's a little bit nicer, the the vaccine is getting out to more and more people. People are starting to be able to dream and plan about seeing loved ones and doing meaningful activities that they haven't been able to do for the past year, and that's that's just a glorious thing. It's kind of like, to go back to the carnival metaphor, it's like, you know, when you're walking around, all the people who aren't on the rides all seem pretty excited. You know, there's all this potential. There's all this life and excitement around you and options and choices and opportunity that have really been taken away for public safety reasons and for good reason. And... It, it's reminding me that one thing I've learned during this pandemic is how to rest. Um, 
one of my first teachers introduced me to this idea that you probably shouldn't be working, or you should do like an inventory, like how much do you work a week? Um, and when I talk about work, I'm not talking about a passion project like this, because for me, working on the podcast, time just flies by. There are, I lose hours researching. When I'm in here recording, it's just like I'm in a different world. I'm in the flow. I'm not talking about jobs that you really enjoy and create really healthy neurochemicals, you know, jobs that you have where you get into the flow. I'm talking about jobs that drain you. You know, I, I ended up leaving public education not because of the students or the work of teaching, that was, I would get into the flow. My classes were amazing for the most part. Sometimes they were super challenging because I was working with humans with trauma and, you know, three or four students getting triggered at the same time can be a little bit emotionally draining. But like in the moment, I was in the flow of responding and being present or getting through a lesson. The reason why I left education is all the rest of the bullshit. Um, and any teacher that is burnt out feels the same way that I did, that um, our emotional labor isn't valued and then they ask us to do more work. And so your average high school teacher is probably doing 50 or 60 hours of work a week. And when I heard that about working 35 hours, I did some tests and I realized that if I just went to work and worked with the students and didn't do as much of the other work, I was a lot healthier and happier. I felt more balanced. I wasn't, I had my weekends back. I had most of my evenings back. I was able to spend time with friends and exercise and take care of my health. But when I was working 50 or 60 hours a week and really overdoing so that I could excel and be rewarded through social praise by my peers and other teachers and get awards, I just wasn't happy. You know, I was happy when I was in front of the students. I was happy when I was connecting or helping a teenager through a really challenging thing. But the other stuff that the school district mandates, the state mandates, um, these forms and paperwork and trainings and blah, 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 blah. Like it just, it burned me out. So I realized that that was kind of the beginning of me realizing the importance of not overdoing. And during the pandemic, I've you know, like so many people have been, it's been really hard financially and there's been a lot of stress and worry about paying rent and uh, buying groceries and keeping the internet on. <laughs> um, but I learned deeply like to rest when I need to. And when I was little, I never understood that. I. I hated napping. 
I, I didn't understand why people napped. Um, I didn't understand why you wouldn't just want to do, 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 do. Um, and so resting was really a skill that I needed to learn. And it's taken years and years. You know, I see friends on Facebook who are like, I'm unplugging from social media and I'm going to take some time for me. And I, I definitely see that there's an increased awareness around it with social media. Um, there's a really great Instagram page you can follow. Uh, this black woman does the nap ministry. Um, and it's a ministry that's literally about napping. <laughs> and it is awesome. Uh, definitely want to promote that because that's brought me a lot of joy during the pandemic and leading up to it. And, you know, scientists, like there's, there's evidence out there that overdoing and this stress is super bad for us, but yet we live in a society that kind of mandates that we continue to do this or the consequences you feel extraordinarily stressed about your safety and security and your well-being. And I don't care how much you meditate if you don't have food, you know, unless you're like completely enlightened, I'm guessing, like where I'm at. I've meditated for maybe 10 years now. No, eight. And I tend to round up with math. Um, <laughs> And then it makes the anniversaries a little bit less meaningful, so I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> um, but, like, it doesn't, you know, meditating or having a spiritual practice doesn't really remove the fear of not being able to support yourself for me yet. And so, I really... It was a challenging lesson to learn how to rest this year, and this week it was really up for me because I didn't get as much work as I wanted to get done this week because I needed to rest. Like At some point on Monday I got so exhausted, and it could have been from having too many emotional conversations or just the energy of being vaccinated and doing a little bit more, but I had... I just kind of crashed Monday night, and then Tuesday I, I slept most of the day, and I wasn't particularly depressed, you know, felt a little tender, but in the past I would have just caffeinated my way through that day and not said, I need to rest, and... Um, you know, there's the fear of calling off work. There's the fear of how your peers see you. But I, I hope that I can continue to listen to myself and rest when I need to. Because rest is, it's invaluable, you know. Babies sleep all the time while they're taking in the new world. And we kind of have it conditioned out of us. Like, I remember being teased like, oh, you still take naps. You know, it's like we get the capitalistic d download early on that, like, and it's really kind of a colonizer mentality. Like, your body doesn't belong to you. You need to be working. Right? That's fucked up. Like, uh, You know, the argument on the other side is like, oh, people would just be lazy. And like, yeah, like I had to, I can speak from my own experience, like 
being sick when I was a kid and having a lot of injuries and having neurodivergence and failing all the time in school, I definitely had a good bit of learned helplessness. And if I failed enough, somebody would come help. And I had to unlearn that. That's a real thing. Learned helplessness is absolutely 100% a real thing. I worked on it with students, um, you know, and you can work on it by helping them gain some autonomy and giving them small victories. And that's really how I overcame my learned helplessness, you know, when I was doing yoga and succeeding at work, that really helped out with my sense of self-worth. Um, but then on the other side of it, I, I kind of needed to relearn how to rest because I was burning myself out and it was affecting my, my, my deeply valuable personal relationships, whether it was with my family or with my friends and yeah, it's springtime, we're vaccinated, and I hope that people just kind of continue to, to learn this lesson from COVID, that it's okay to, like, withdraw and rest, and that resting, it helps us reset. Um, it can kind of I mean, there's so much magic in it. Like it can help us see the ways in which, you know, capitalism is a system of oppression and it, we start policing ourselves because we're not doing enough, right? Like, we're a country with fucking Instagram influencers. Like, we have people who make their money making you feel like you're not doing cool enough shit or that you don't look good enough or that you're not in shape enough or you haven't been to enough music festivals like that is insane to me like we need to rest and this Tuesday I needed to rest hard and it was great I took a bath I slept most of the day went to bed early and I'm still getting my energy back I'm still I'm still acclimating to the season, still kind of coming out of this hibernation. It's been a really wet and snowy spring here in Colorado, and I really do feel, you know, like a bear or an animal coming out of coming out of my den. And I'm not going to I'm gonna to try to not sprint into the summer. Because resting is cool and I don't need to move as fast as society wants us to. You know, it's kind of, society is kind of this overlay on nature, and we take society to be more real than nature because humans created it, but it's really not. And resting is profoundly beautiful. So there is a poem I'd like to read you on the way out. This is something a friend of mine sent me you can read this poem on David White's Facebook page, so it's public. And the name of the poem is Rest. Rest is the conversation between what we love to do and how we love to be. Rest is the essence of giving and receiving, an act of remembering, 
imaginatively and intellectually, but also physiologically and physically. To rest is to give up on the already exhausted will as the prime motivator of endeavor. With its endless outward need to reward itself through established goals, to rest is to give up on worrying and fretting and the sense that there is something wrong with the world unless we are there to put it right. To rest is to fall back, literally or figuratively, from outer targets and shift the goal not to an inner static bullseye, an imagined state of perfect stillness, but to an inner state of natural exchange. The template of natural exchange is breath, the autonomic giving and receiving that forms the basis and the measure of life itself. We are rested when we are living exchange between what lies inside and what lies outside, when we are in intriguing conversation between the potential that lies in our imagination and the possibilities for making that internal image real in the world. We are rested when we let things alone and let ourselves alone to do what we do best. Breathe as the body intended us to breathe, to walk as we were meant to walk, to live with the rhythm of a house and a home, giving and taking through cooking and cleaning. When we give and take in an easy foundational way, we are closest to the authentic self and closest to that self when we are most rested. To rest is not self-indulgent. To rest is to prepare to give the best of ourselves and to perhaps, most importantly, arrive at a place where we are able to understand what we have already been given. In the first state of rest is the sense of being, of stopping, of giving up on what we have been doing or we, how we have been being. And the second is the sense of slowly coming home, the physical journey into the body's uncoerced, unbullied self, as if trying to remember the way or even the destination itself. In the third state is a sense of healing and self-forgiveness and of arrival. In the fourth state, deep in the primal exchange of breath, is the give and the take, the blessing and the being blessed, and the ability to delight in both. In the fifth stage of rest is a sense of absolute readiness and presence, a delight in an anticipation of the world and all of its forms, a sense of being the meeting itself between inner and outer, and that receiving and responding occur in one spontaneous movement. A deep experience of rest is the template of perfection in the human imagination, a perspective from which we gain that most difficult human virtue, patience. That is, we are able to perceive the outer specific forms of our work and our relationships whilst being nourished by the shared foundational gift of the breath itself, from this perspective, we can be rested while putting together an elaborate meal for an arriving crowd, whilst climbing the highest mountain, moving a herd of sheep along a Cumbrian country lane, or sitting at home, surrounded by the chaos of a loving family. 
Rested, we are ready for the world, but not held hostage by it. Rested, we care again for the right things and the right people in the right way. In rest, we reestablish the goals that make us more generous, more courageous, more of an invitation, someone we want to remember, and someone others would want to remember too. Rest from Consolations. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Turning of the Bones. Be well.